New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, I'm going to hope that my voice holds up because it is a big one. It's roster rules time. Everyone is excited. Joe's been shadow boxing for the last 30 minutes. Goss has been doing push-ups over an open flame. It's go time. Let's get into it. Here with me to do so are the two gentlemen I just mentioned. We've got Joe. The roster rules were perfect and nothing needed to change. Lowry, hello, Joe. Yep, that's totally me. I don't want any changes to happen. Also, weirdly, I just got $3 billion wired to me, and I'm planning to uh, purchase the next MLS expansion team. This feels perfect. That should just about cover the expansion fee. I'm glad that you get to do that. Joining us as well, we've got David. I had concerns about the timing of substitutions. Goss, hello, David. I just, I feel caught right now in my mind thinking about you saying I'm doing push-ups over an open flame. <laughs> like, this is the best I've felt and I haven't even gotten up. I appreciate that you, you, you reflected the energy that I was going for with yeah. your stoic and calm introduction, also, uh, David Goss. Joe, not to like tell someone how to spend their money, but like, can I offer you an NWSL team for yeah, the $3 billion that you're wasting? <laughs> there is no chance... In any world that the best investment in sports right now is not an yeah. NWSL. Yeah, I, I think about that legitimately all, all the time. Maybe not all the time. I think about I'm that still, a ton. I'm still trying to parse the number of negatives Goss just used there. Goss <laughs> is saying NWSL investment equals good. And I really okay. do believe that's true. Not a- I think the the best opening wave has passed. Like, I think the California teams that got in really yeah. nailed the timing. Anyone still, who got in on $10 million for a franchise did it well. Right. And still, I think the future there is really, really bright. Um, so, yeah, I'll be purchasing a dozen NWSL teams instead. That is you a get, change I'm making. You get to own a team in the arguably the best league in the world in its sport for like one nine hundredth of what it costs to buy an MLS team or any other team. Guys, I brought us here to talk about roster rules. I, I raised the hype and you've already moved us to NWSL franchise fees, which I think is understandable uh, because after speculation that we might see some big changes to roster rules and budgets and the like, we got a decrease in discovery list players from seven to five new rules relating to off field treatment and time substitutions and an increase in maximum Tam. Oh wait, no, we didn't. As of this morning, Paul Tenorio reporting that they decided not to bring that Tam change to a vote. So it's discovery list reductions and some time changes Huge news. Joe, is this a bit like if your partner was hoping you'd get them something very nice for Christmas and you instead got her a balloon from CVS that said sale on it? (laughs) That's an oddly specific reference that makes me really believe that you've done that. Okay, there a friend, not you. (laughs) I I do take uh, so hard there that you didn't do that with your wife. Um, It is... It's disappointing, Taylor. I'm a bit surprised and kind of shots fired at the new uh, allocation money that can be received from low-level DP outgoing transfers. I can't believe that didn't get mentioned. Feels like we're burying the lead. No, I mean, this 
Don Garber had done a good job. MLS Commissioner Don Garber, Garber had done a good job of lowering expectations. So in his State of the League press conference, he just said straight up that there were no plans to add a fourth designated player. And frankly, I'm not sure that's like a, the worst idea. I think something would have been better than nothing as a someone who likes to watch soccer. Uh, but at the same time, we've talked about this on the show before. I think the real way to increase the quality of play in Major League Soccer is to spread the spending more evenly across the roster, right? It's having top-end players, but then also having you know more $1 million players like they do at the top of the Netherlands or like they do in Liga Mekis and things like that. MLS is still missing that. But anyway, Don Garber said no fourth DP. But sort of while that's happening, there were discussions about maybe MLS opening up all of their U22 slots for every team. So you could have three DPs and three you know good young players that don't take up a ton of cap space. And you could see maybe a little bit of quality increase there. Maybe, you know, teams go out and throw a few darts at the board and, you know, generate some transfer fees off of that stuff and reinvest that money. The idea of increasing the salary ceiling for TAM players, think of those players as like mini DPs. Like they're they're good players, they're not quite DPs, but they're very good top end of the roster kind of players. There was an idea that basically you'd be able to pay those players a little bit more, which means you could then get better players without having to make them DPs. I've tried to cut through some of the uh, acronym nonsense there. I don't know if I did a good job, but listener, hopefully you picked up on some of that. Basically, there were little things to, there were the little things that were being discussed around MLS circles. And according to Tom Bogert, the fourth DP thing was never like really ever going to happen. It wasn't really ever discussed in any serious way, but these other things were. And MLS decided to go without doing any of them when you have just signed the greatest player of all time to join your league when the World Cup is a stone's throw away. I, I want to be clear. Doing those things that I just said, the U22 stuff, the TAM ceiling, whatever, that doesn't fix Major League Soccer. Like, that doesn't automatically transform MLS into being a relevant league in any global sense. I, I don't I don't even 100% know if those changes were, like, worth making at all or if we'd even notice them. But I, I do think in my overall takeaway from the Board of Governors meeting where owners had a chance to vote on some of these things is that like they're just not interested in change, or at least enough MLS owners are not interested in change to the point where, like, if we're not going to see change now past, you know, growth at a snail's pace that we are seeing, like, things are getting better in MLS, but the fact that, you know, we're not seeing this stuff now and that there doesn't seem to be enough drive from owners outside of the Mosses and Arthur Blank and, you know, LA, all these, all these owners that we know want to do stuff, the fact that we're not even seeing that stuff now when it's hard to imagine a better moment than now to capitalize on a captivated soccer market, Inter-Miami being the most searched sports team on Google for the entire year of 2023. More than the Lakers, more than the Cowboys, more than Manchester United. The most searched sports team on the planet via Google. The fact that these things aren't happening now, I think is telling of what we should expect as consumers of Major League Soccer for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think, Joe, if we were going to extend a courtesy to the uh, MLS Product Strategy Committee, which, uh, to my understanding, is the group that makes these decisions or doesn't make these decisions, um, their argument would be that they are interested in change. The word that you didn't use was incremental, that they're very much about incremental change and about slow growth. And I think it was uh, one of the Hunt brothers, uh, like specifically was saying, when we're talking about sports ownership, we're talking about generations, and we want the sport to be the best it is for generations to come, which is optimistic, I guess, is one way to put that one. Uh, maybe overly cautious would be another. But it does seem like that is the purpose of this committee, is to find slow, very specific changes that can boost uh, the competitive quality or the overall ability of teams, but isn't necessarily going to change the structure of the league itself or how teams operate. So it feels like they're trying to kind of 
split that needle a little bit or like uh, thread that needle a little bit of having change but not having too much change. And I think in this case, we landed on not enough change, in my opinion. Goss, how say you? Just cutting a needle in half is impressive by go. itself, no matter what you do. I think you hit on a, probably a good amount of points there, Taylor, of what's being said in those meetings, which we're not a part of, and, and what's part of those conversations. My guess would be the actual, my guess would be the number one point would be a combination of what both of you said, which is they would say, Joe, to everything you said, they are the most searched team in the world in a growing league without doing any of that stuff. Unfortunately, the way we all see it, which is growth means push. They see it as it's working. And that's where I think everyone, including myself, fell into that trap of like, okay, here we go. Right? The ramp up has now happened. There's proof of concept now push. And unfortunately, the people who own the product looked at it and said, so we don't have to change anything. If we just keep going the way we're going. And that's part of the debate around soccer in America and and Canada, less so specifically for this combo of like, is it just take time for people to fall in love with the sport or is it take time for people who love the sport already, but watch it overseas to fall in love with major league soccer? Just, it does just, does it just take history? So therefore you can't accelerate it. Like if there are fans who are like, well, this has only existed for 25 years. It doesn't matter how many good players you sign. They're not going to change that tune until it's 25 years later. So I think there's a lot of those conversations happening. And unfortunately for all of us, it fell on like, oh, it's working the way it's working. And rather than saying, let's ramp ourselves up into 2026 World Cup, it's the pro- the conversation probably was the 2026 World Cup will push us to a higher level. So let's let that do it. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's I want to be clear. It's really easy to come out and, and like call for other people to spend their money. I know that these people have an absurd amount of money and probably wouldn't notice that some of it is, is missing. But like it, it's really easy and comfortable to come out here and say that stuff. At the same time, I still somehow was surprised that there are enough of these owners who are focused on making money, not stewarding their teams, but focused on making money. I was a little bit surprised that they didn't view this as sort of a golden ticket, I guess. And and I don't know if my perspective is right, frankly, in terms of generating revenue and generating profit. In my head, coming into Thursday, I thought, wow, like Messi coming to MLS, the World Cup, like these are perfect moments. Goss, you said accelerate, right? Like these are perfect moments to throw that accelerant on the fire and like really start to move and catapult yourself towards something more that can be even more profitable and generate even more money and more interest and and be a better asset in your portfolio. I'm still sort of surprised that more owners didn't view it that way. But again, it's really easy for me to say that stuff and, and say like MLS team should spend so much more money. Go spend at a, you know, top end of the Eredivisie or a Liga, like, you know, Champions League team kind of level. It's easy to say that stuff when it's it's not my money. That being said, even with the challenges of finding an obvious next step. You did just put step, $3 billion into the league. Let's that's, that's true. Like, don't, well, don't, we, don't we landed on yourself. the NWSL is what we did. So uh, I, I ended up taking my right. talents to another league. Uh, like finding the next step is hard. I, I don't think there is like a clear, obvious, wow, VAR language, gross. I don't think there's like a, a no-brainer move. What's happening, Joe? From, from is Don Garver off mic right now? Is he out of picture? <laughs> just like, is he holding your cat up? Like if you want to see it back, speak in measured tones. Don't say VAR language. No, I mean, <laughs> but, but like it does seem to me, we've talked about this stuff before. It does seem to me that there are a series of, of changes that MLS could make that don't demand so much more investment and that would actually make the product 
noticeably more compelling to a soccer fan who's trying to get into the league. So there again, you can take this conversation in so many ways, but ultimately as a fan of the sport who lives in the United States, it is a bummer that we're not seeing MLS come out and, and do more beyond the incremental growth that's already baked into the CBA. Two things that just popped to mind right now, which I think is one is uh, I felt this way way more during COVID, but now uh, a little bit further on is like, one of the things Joe mentioned, it's tough to tell someone else to spend their money. But one of the things about Major League Soccer is it's more stable than other soccer leagues around the world. Like you have more stable ownership groups. And while the um, revenue may not come in through MLS, those people have revenue coming in and they have enough to be able to cover these teams. And there are floors to Major League Soccer in terms of spending and infrastructure that you have that European, South American, Asian teams do not have. And so what I think the other side of the frustrating part away from just Messi in the World Cup is like, it feels like there's space for MLS to catch up and pass some of the leagues around the world and that this four or five year span has been wasted in a lot of ways in doing that and making yourself a player on the global stage differently. Now, sometimes I wonder if how much Saudi Arabia has affected that mm. of like, if Benzema wasn't getting $700 million a year, would MLS have put in a fourth DP because there would be this pool of players that are somewhat available to them at a more reasonable fee that they think could move the needle, not in a messy way, but like getting closer to that. And maybe it feels like, well, that's now out the window because I don't know, 25 of those players have gone to Saudi Arabia and there are, I don't know, 29 clubs. How many teams are in MLS? 29. 29. Uh, the the other thing I would say is, Joe, you were talking about the specifics of what did happen and the rules you wanted to see and how you wanted to shift. I think in talking about a fourth DP and all these things, it wouldn't have mattered what they did. If you had added anything, it all would have ended the same way, which is if you add a fourth DP, then the fourth low end DP just becomes another TAM player. If you added higher TAM money, then you can just add another TAM player. If you make all U22s automatically lock into a team, it means you don't have to have a low end DP or a young DP. So then you unlock that third spot. No matter what, it probably all would have ended up being one more good player on each team. It's not substantial, but Joe, to the original yeah. point you made of like, we've talked about adding $1 million player seat roster. It would have done that. Whatever, whatever infrastructure they chose, whatever world word salad they created to add this extra thing, it probably would have netted out to one more really good player, one more, top five player on each roster. You both know significantly more about these things than I. Uh, big old, uh, important disclaimer up front. So I know that some of what I'm about to say is probably old news to you both, but for people who it's not, it's probably worth reiterating. And then uh, I will add my two cents. I think there is a benefit to the way the product strategy committee works, as I understand it. There's a very good piece in The Athletic by Paul Tenorio, that goes into a lot of the details about the decisions they make. And I thought the explainer of how they landed on TAM was a fascinating one. That basically there was a recognition that the league needed to have better overall rosters to compete with Liga Nekis in the CONCACAF Champions League. That, that in positions one through three, MLS was competitive with Liga Nekis. But it was like those four to eight positions where they weren't getting the quality. They couldn't get the players needed to really elevate performance. So you have TAM brought in specifically to pay those players, that specific group of players, more money, and it allows more talent, theoretically. And I think that is, 
a very workshopped, focus grouped decision that makes a lot of sense. The problem is that it's just so very clearly workshopped and focus grouped. And I would equate it with uh, when Hillary Clinton was running for president and she had settled on like $12.60 as the minimum wage that we should go for based on economic reports and opinions of industry leaders. And like that is probably the correct number, but just say $15 because that's going to sound better and it's going to sound way less focus grouped. And I think that's where I end up frustrated with some of these decisions. I understand where they are coming from. I understand the intelligence behind them. At the same time, it just feels very incremental to go back to that word at a time when they're also talking about the explosion of, of fandom and enthusiasm for the league and the love and the passion for the game. I don't think you can talk about the passion for the game and then also talk about like the intricacies of Tam at the same time. And so uh, where I end up on this is that I think this is completely me editorializing. I think they're anticipating a drop after Messi leaves. I think that there is a fear that he is a sort of artificial balloon that when Messi leaves the league, a lot of that celebrity interest that we've seen, a lot of the the big $500 tickets or whatever, that's going to drop. And I think simultaneously, there's an expectation that because of 2026 in the World Cup, there is also going to be a huge boost in people getting interested in league, interesting in the domestic league and, and players coming here and, and just an overall enthusiasm. And so I think those two things simultaneously have decision makers thinking, let's just wait. Let's just wait and see. And I think for people who, like you two, have really high expectations and, and desires for this league to really reach that new level that it probably could if that harnessed all this potential. It just feels like a wasted opportunity. But for these owners, I think they would rather miss a potential opportunity than be the NASL again, which is the thing that we always kind of go back to. That's where I end up. I think that's fair. I, I think the way you're viewing it makes sense. The messy part, I would just say, if I'm in the room arguing that's what the the point is to the 2026 World Cup. So like Messi is unrepeatable, but you have this once, twice in a lifetime for some people moment that's coming right after that. And that should be the ramp up. And so you do this now to keep building the league to be ready for that moment when Messi leaves, but to take advantage of that and to enter or be in the middle of 2027 still moving in the right direction. Because that's what it feels like is that long-term plan. But I think you are correct in saying that there are a lot of people that are involved with that product committee, as well as ownership, as well as this league, and say, like, this is a 75-year thing. This is a long-term process. We are moving in the right direction. We can only accelerate and then fail, right? Like, we can, in the NASL point, be like, if we jump and fall apart, then we lose, where if we stay in the game, we still have a possibility of winning as long as possible. So I think that's fair. I think that makes sense. Let me throw in the on the TAM thing um, and just all of it. Every single person who runs the sporting side of an MLS team would tell you, just make it all money. Yep. Let us spend it the way we want to. Like, even if you're not going to add to it, let us spend it the way we want to, and then we'll compete at a higher level with League MX teams and compete at a higher level with ourselves. And then that's a whole nother conversation that has to happen, but it is back into the like, what's the thought process, the business schooling, what's the process of like creating a thing like allocation money and turning it into TAM or GAM and what you can sell on in U22 initiatives. And like anyone who runs one of the teams will say, let us spend it however we want so that the Rapids can go out 
and spend $815,000 on four defenders and have the best back line in the league and compete the, the with Miami. spend money. Sure. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, I didn't know we were talking about like a, a parallel universe, but go ahead. Yeah. Fair. It's still a salary cap. There's still money you have to spend. Fair. Well, that that's the thing, dude. That that ultimately is is where my frustration lies, is that if they could just like say what the reality is, maybe I would appreciate it more. But I think to to give teams that money, to give teams that freedom and that flexibility to go out and spend, I do think the NASL thing is just a it's an easy point to bring up because we don't want to be the NASL. We don't want to overexpand and collapse or whatever. I don't think that's reality. I think it's in that scenario piece. The North Star of the of the competition committee is competitive balance. And that's yeah. ultimately what it's going to be is that certain owners don't want to spend money. They don't want to have to spend money. There are people who are going to be forced to spend money on occasion. And so to me, Tam, those sort of improvements just feel like what is the like the most agreeable way we can allow teams to spend money that doesn't then like balloon the salary cap immediately. It, ju- it just feels like, again, that incremental change that will appeal to enough people to get it to pass, but ultimately is probably rooted in, ultimately we want everyone to be able to be competitive while spending roughly the same amount of money. And I think I get where that's coming from. I just simultaneously think it really yeah. holds the league back on occasion. Yeah, and, and one other element in all this, and I don't know MLS owners personally. Um, if I did, maybe see. maybe I'd, maybe something different would be happening. I really would be coaching PSG. Maybe that's maybe that would be in my future. Me and um, Taylor do because we know you, yeah. right? Oh, mm-hmm. obviously. Again, NWSL. I don't know how many times <laughs> I have to say, it, guys. This was your advice. Um, but I, I think it's hard to overstate how much these owners want to avoid being embarrassed. Right? We're talking about the North Star being competitive balance and MLS has prioritized parity over quality all the time. They continue to prioritize that even as quality grows in the league, like owners and and teams, they don't want to get left behind, right? The Colorado Rapids are afraid of getting left behind the Vancouver Whitecaps, FC Dallas. Some of these clubs don't want to get left behind, right? They're afraid of being embarrassed and having things open up and them failing. And that then, because you need a lot of MLS owners to actually get a chance to pass these things. It's the product strategy committee, that has you know a number of them on the list to come up and, and dream up some of these schemes. And then it's the board of governors, as far as I know, that is just owners across Major League Soccer, all of them, that end up voting on these things. Like There are enough of them still that, that just don't want to get left behind, that maybe even it's possible that their fear of being embarrassed and of their investment looking stupid because their team is bad, there's a chance that those things also play a part in this, even when increased financial investment could conceivably move things forward. So I don't know, I think generally speaking, to kind of sum up, I guess, my thoughts on this, unless we're doing more, which is totally fine with me. I, my, my thoughts on this is, I think the biggest reason that this stuff stings is because MLS talks such a big game, right? Yeah. You got quotes from, from Don Garber as the spokesperson for the league in so many ways, right? He's not making these decisions. It's the owners that make the decisions. But he's the spokesperson for the league and coming out and saying, you know, if we get the World Cup in 2026 or if we get the World Cup in 2022, which they didn't, like, we want to be a top league. And obviously, you leave yourself a, a way out by saying, well, you know, we're like a top 10 league in the world. That's that's pretty cool. But MLS, you know, talks a big game and they go out and they by by the miracle of Messi, they have the world's best player in their league and they, they want to be big and they don't really do the stuff that it takes to be big. And And you know what? Like... I'm not saying this is ideal, but that's fine. Like if that's what you're going to be, that's it's okay to be that. Just like don't sell us the the bill of goods. Like you you do want to be something more when it's clear that not enough of you actually want to be more 
and you know don't pretend like you're any more than than what you actually are. All right, Joe. Here here's my compromise. MLS's new model motto. Uh, we could go Latin or we could go English, but it's fortune favors the bold in giant letters, and then there's a very little asterisk with uh, small lettering underneath that just says incrementally. So that yes. way we do sort of allow them to talk the big game, but then still reflect the reality. Yep, that sounds that sounds good to me. I'm into Solved that, Taylor. It. Let's make Perfect. it. Happen. I would lean Latin as well if you're if you were taking. Uh, I don't know how to say incrementally in Latin. I can say well, the other part. Kind of stoked because I didn't realize you knew Latin that you were just going to swap between the two. Adentes fortuna luvat, of course. How do you, how would you not know that <laughs> with the Italian hand? Yeah, right. As well. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's what Romance that's what language. Yeah, 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 come yeah on. that's fair. Come we'll, on, we'll take it. <laughs> No, right, fine. Uh, we're going to be back uh, in part two. It might also been Juvat, I think. Uh, we're going to be back in part two to talk about some transfer rumors uh, and some moves that, moves that have actually happened uh, and less complaining about Gam and Tam and all that good stuff. Back soon. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. As I said, fewer TAM conversations, though probably not no TAM conversations. We'll see how these final two segments go. Instead, we're going to talk off-season moves. David Goss, the Red Bulls are doing things, which feels like a, an odd thing to say, but here we are. It's the reality. It is? Was that a question? <laughs> I'm sending you up to talk about either uh, coaching changes or uh, Emil Forsberg slash Foshberry slash however we're supposed to pronounce it properly. Oh, I was going to say Forsberg, so mm-hmm. you already had me beat on that. I think that is the way to do it, but then I think there was like one pronunciation site that says, like, actually, if you're a native fluent speaker, this is how you're supposed to say it, but it's Forsberg. Let's go with that. And I, I often do claim yes, myself as a native, native Swedish speaker, so therefore... I wouldn't want to look silly in my community over here. Um, no, I think Forsberg for Red Bulls fans, like you have to be happy for them. This is a player at a at a level that they haven't signed since Thierry Henry. And I think when you go to like Red Bulls and what they do and the way they play, it almost feels like it had to have come this way because their system is so specific. And if you're going to go out and sign a guy at his age with his profile, 
are they really going to come here and learn a new system or fit into your system? Like it had to be someone who's already comfortable with the way it's played. And when you look at Forsberg and the way he played for Red Bulls in his peak and not there anymore, but, you know, started and, and helped them win a game in Champions League last week, you still, you play through him. And he brings, I think, a level of soccer IQ and decision-making in possession in the Red Bull system that very few other players have brought over the course of that time. And I think since Sasha question, no one has brought to New York Red Bull specifically. So it's going to be a huge boon for them. Set pieces alone would be a massive upgrade if he's committed and if he cares uh, about the project. And I don't know anything about him to know either way, but that's always a question mark for a player coming from one specific environment and now moving to this one. Yeah, I think I think Red Bull fans should be high on this move, right? Forsberg is a good player. His if you go and look at some of his underlying numbers and you watch the the film from Leipzig, he's not involved a ton. Certainly hasn't been this season. Really wasn't involved a ton last season. You know, not not a super on the ball kind of guy. That's not because he's incapable of being that player, but that's because he's playing for RB Leipzig, who are a top four team in the Bundesliga, which is the second or third best league in the world at this point, right? So he is still a very good player at this age, and I think his numbers sort of mirror his involvement in games. He's a good player, and I think he will bring something to the Red Bulls' attack that they've been missing ever since they tried to replace Sasha Kleshin with Kaku, who was like a a fine signing, who had a a really good first year in MLS, and then tried to replace Kaku with Lukinas, who has been a bust. He's still a Red Bulls player, I guess. We'll see if that is the case by the time the season starts, but he's been involved for two years now and has been a severely below average number 10 in the league in both of those years. And that's not just because the Red Bulls don't always play through a number 10. It's because he's incapable of making a difference on the ball in Major League Soccer, it seems, anyway. So adding Forsberg as a straight-up replacement or starter over Luquinas makes the Red Bulls better instantly, assuming he is bought in at at least a respectable level, which you imagine he would be. 32 years old, he's not like he's not done. He's got he's got several years left. The Red Bulls signed him a three-year contract. Yeah. What's from that? everything I've seen of him, from everything I've ever seen of him, he has like an engine. Yeah. So I think even even at 32, I'm saying this, this is a 39 year old. Uh, I feel like he will cover plenty of distance. One one thing, Gaston, I'm curious about your perspective on. I think the first takeaway from this move, the most relevant one for 2024, is that Forsberg is an upgrade for the Red Bulls in the attack. No brainer. He makes his team better. That's good news, right? Clap your hands. Good. The other thing that I think is a relevant takeaway here is that like it's the first meaningful move. From Leipzig, the older sister and favorite child of Red Bull Global, to the younger sister and sort of like not so beloved New York branch of Red Bull Global. Like we have never seen a meaningful incoming move from Leipzig to New York. We have seen outgoing moves, Tyler Adams being the most relevant one, Caden Clark didn't work out so well. But we've seen players go from New York to Leipzig, which is really how the model should work primarily. That's what Red Bull Global wants. But to see somebody come downstream, maybe that's upstream, whatever, right? To see someone go from Germany to New York feels like a somewhat big deal if it is followed by, over the next five years, one or two more fringe Leipzig players coming to the Red Bulls for whatever reason. Do you think that's like a a relevant takeaway from this move? I think it is. And I think it is because there have been moves from Germany and Salzburg to New York Red Bulls, and they have always been even stressing the relationship of like, we don't have space for Samuel Tete and Omar Damari. So you, you guys get them and Oh, you, they don't play for you. Yeah, they suck. But like, congratulations, we gave you players. Those stress the relationship even worse where I think this is the right space of 
of, you know, he can make a difference. And there have been rumors around Peter Gulasi as well, which I actually think would have been offensive of like Coronel is a top five keeper. That would mean you're literally not watching your own team play. If you send them a goalkeeper as like a big time signing, quote unquote, <laughs> to that my understanding would be of the Red Bulls, that feels like a possibility. A hundred percent. And so <laughs> the rumors, which apparently were more like older rumors that got rehashed over the course of the last few months, because Schneider is new and Sandro Schwartz, who we'll talk about, is new. And so it was kind of I think it was people in Germany trying to connect dots that they thought could happen more so than like genuine conversations. Um but it wasn't that move. It was a genuine ad at a spot of need with an idea of like, how can the New York Red Bulls win? How can they be a better team? And I've made this point a million times at all levels, where you, whether you talk about this, MLS Next Pro, youth teams, uh, USL, whatever. I think good players make other players better. And I think good players make other players' lives easier. If you want the next Tyler Adams to come through, having them play with Emil Forsberg every yeah. day will make them better and it will help you get to that process. And so I think this is like hopefully a recognition of that as well as to win. I don't think they should get rid of Luquinhas because I still don't trust Red Bulls to spend money. And if I was a Red Bull fan, I would rather have Luquinhas, Lewis Morgan and Forsberg on my roster than just Forsberg and Lewis Morgan on my roster. Like I'd just rather have more players invested. And I go back to that point of like Luquinhas isn't a final third finisher, but he also has played with no one. Last year in the playoffs, when he was trying to make things happen against Cincinnati, he was the only one. So now you bring Forsberg in. You let him play off him. You hope Morgan comes back healthy. You hope you get something from Van Zier, whatever the hell happens out of that. All of a sudden, if Luquinhas is standing on the field in June, and that's the case, he's playing with the three most talented attacking players he has ever played with in New York. I have a question for both of you that uh, could be like an episode unto itself. So prepare for this one. Uh, guys, why are the Red Bulls better? Uh, that is that is my opening question. I will give you a second to think about that one by asking, like in that same scenario piece, talking about the competition committee, when they talk about teams that always want to spend more, that always want to raise the salary cap, that are aggressive in their approach, the Red Bulls are always listed in that group. And yet, guys, you just mentioned there, like you don't have faith in them to actually spend money to actually go out and buy players to make for a competitive team. I'm editorializing a little bit there. But they feel like a team that have a solid foundation. We've seen their teams in Austria and in, in the Bundesliga have plenty of success. So I don't get why this team seems like one that always underachieves. Am I wrong in that perception or is there more to it? Uh, whichever one of you would like to uh, succinctly answer a question that, again, could be its own episode. Take it away. I think always underachieves would be a tough one to throw in there because they were a Supporter Shield winning team. They were a team that I think was pushing the league for a little while. They haven't been now. When since did they win the supporter shield? Since Jesse Marsh left. Mm -hmm. Right. So Chris Armas technically won one. I think there's like, yes, there are 18 answers in here. One, mm. I would say was that over Jesse Marsh's time, it got built around him almost as a cult of personality. Him leaving was probably a huge step back for the club that we didn't understand at the time because the infrastructure was not built around him. It was him. Like he, I think, had the weight to push the Red Bull Global to spend money, to bring in talent, to push the team. He created Tyler Adams. He helped push things forward. And then when he left, I think a lot of it fell apart way more quickly than we all expected. So I think that's a micro answer in that on the macro. There's a lot of reasons. One, I would say, is when you look at what CFG has used NYCFC for and Red Bulls have used 
New York Red Bulls for. One of the advantages for NYCFC is it is a stated proving ground to go to other CFG clubs where while it has happened for Tyler Adams, it has not happened with other players. AKA, there is no Tati Castellanos. There is no Yangel Herrera that is paid at a big number from South America, brought to the Red Bulls to then potentially move on to the next spot. And so I think you've had a talent gap there for the Red Bulls. But I think the biggest answer would be every time they compete, going back to the owner conversation, I think they look at it and say, okay, it's enough. So rather than saying, what's the 5% we can add to take this over the top? They look at it and say, this is what we invest. This is our focus. This is how much energy we put into this. And it's good enough. They are top four in the Eastern Conference. They make the playoffs every year. They've won supporter shields. And I think that is the assessment that everyone walks away with rather than what uh, Columbus, a bad example maybe, but like Columbus looked at their team that won MLS Cup in 2020 and was like, let's add Cucho. That takes us over the top. It doesn't feel like that's ever the assessment that's made at Red Bull. Yeah, my, my thought, and we talked about the Red Bulls not too long ago on this show and about some other problems. One of the things that always comes back for me is there's just no real vision from Red Bull Global about what they want the New York branch to be, right? So when all the stars align and you have a manager that really does seem like a difference maker in Major League Soccer and Jesse Marsh, like your team is really, really good and you're competing at the top of the Eastern Conference. You're going toe-to-toe with Atlanta United. You're making playoff runs. You're playing good soccer against good teams. And then you win a supporter shield five years ago. When all of a sudden you lose the the heart of that team in Tyler Adams and Sasha Kleshin is traded to Orlando City and Bradley Wright Phillips moves on, you lose your best pieces. Like there's not real vision in place. There isn't real um, strategy in terms of the decision making that can help you quickly replenish those things. Or even if that does exist in certain ways, they've also just missed on their signings. Like I just spent two minutes talking about how bad Lukinius is. Like that was their move last year. Dante Van Zier was their big signing and then it turns out like maybe he's racist and also maybe not good at soccer and so all of a sudden you've taken two swings both of your dps and they're both not producing like you're not going to be a very good team in major league soccer if that's the case so i I don't think the red bulls are like the you know the tire fire club of major league soccer right now i think they've actually done a lot of good things in this offseason already hired a new manager for the forsberg signing is the most encouraging one we've seen in quite some time I think this team is going to be noticeably better next year than they were this year and at least march closer to kind of where they were at their peak five years ago. They're not going to be there, but they'll be closer than they were last year. Hey, Joe. See? Who, who is the tire fire team of Major League Soccer? Ah, uh, I mean, it's got to be a <laughs> like a fist fight between Toronto and Colorado. And I, I have more faith in Toronto kind of stabilizing things so they'll just spend until they fix it under Bill Manning at the moment. But Colorado's got to be on the list. DC is not too far off, but it seems like they're making moves. Yay. Um, so that's good for them. But I'll go. I'll go with the Rapids. Sorry, Rapids fans, not your fault. Uh, Joe, let's talk about more optimistic things. Uh, are there any offseason moves aside from Forsberg that you've particularly enjoyed? Yeah. So there, there have been a bunch of kind of fun, weird, in the weeds ones. Uh, like fullbacks being traded for the other team's fullbacks and just all, all those kinds of things. The uh, the only other one that really I I feel the need to highlight right now is Atlanta United signing Josh Cohen. And not just because Josh Cohen was the first soccer player I ever interviewed, um, but because Atlanta United but really not, need a not goalkeeper. because of that? Yeah. Well, not, not because of that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I don't talk to Josh Cohen, so it's fine. Uh, but like Atlanta United need a goalkeeper. Brad Guzan, old, bad. 
injured. Like that's the, those are the three words that I would use to describe Brad Guzan right now as a soccer player, as a person, I'm sure it's lovely, but Atlanta United need something. And Josh Cohen is something coming, uh, coming over his last uh, stop was at Maccabi Haifa over in Israel. He helped get them to the champions league. That was a big deal. Uh, I, basically my perspective is it's a little hard to say how good Cohen is as a goalkeeper because none of us are watching the, the top flight in Israel and none of us really spent a lot of time watching Josh Cohen there. I've watched clips. He seems like a capable shot stopper, but the numbers just aren't aren't out there publicly that I can find on him. With that being said, it would be almost impossible not to be an upgrade over Brad Guzan. I'm not even trying to be hyperbolic. He was one of the three worst goalkeepers in MLS last year. This is a no-brainer move. They've had interest in, in Cohen for quite some time. Getting that deal over the line early in the offseason, let him come in, let him get settled, have a full preseason, let him win that starting job or compete for it, which he will win it. Like that, It's just all logical stuff from Atlanta. All right. So uh, Joe hyped about Josh Cohen for any number of different reasons, including that they were besties and will be once again. Uh, Goss, any moves for you that you want to spotlight? None that have happened. Sorry. I'm, I'm just uninterested so far. Like I could go into any of them and find reasons that some are positive and some are negative. But for me, mostly it's the rumors of what could happen. I think we're at this point right now where like there's a hopeful indication that some teams are making the right moves and, trying to take step forwards. Um, But most of the moves that have occurred are like, yeah, I think Kip Keller will be better off in Cincinnati than in Austin, but he won't be a starter and that's fine. And so I think it's mainly been moves like that um, for these teams. So I'll say, did Derek Jones actually sign with Columbus yet? Or is that a rumor? I think it's still just being reported. I don't think it's happening. So it's all rumors, man. It's all rumors for big signings like Derek Jones. All right. Uh, I have a question about some coaches, but let's do this. Let's take one more break. We'll come back. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about some teams to pay attention to in the offseason. Back soon. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player and Kosi Tafare never disappoints. Will Trapp over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high-quality suits that are designed to fit you. They are made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, gentlemen. We have uh, three coaching hires to mention. One for the Red Bulls, one for Charlotte, one for New England. I want to start with New England because we've kind of already mentioned the Red Bulls. Um, Joe, how would you describe Caleb Porter to folks who don't have as much familiarity with him? Here's your background. I have two buddies who are uh, now going to be lifelong Red Bulls fans, uh, and there is a conversation about if they should be frustrated that the Red Bulls went for Schwartz over Caleb Porter. I think the nope. consensus is no, that they should be happy with Schwartz, but uh, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on Caleb Porter and what his style is. You uh, should <laughs> strongly <laughs> stress to them that they should not be upset about that. <laughs> I, I, Caleb I need Porter's you all to understand how shocked, annoyed, and like ready to go that question made I me with Goss as I was asking my it. chair. Well, Goss, you do it. You do it. You feel much more strongly about this than I do. I'll just Ooh. go ahead and say quickly, I don't think Caleb Porter is like a, a meaningfully uh, advantageous person to hire as a coach. It seems like he destroys relationships pretty much wherever he goes, except <laughs> at the Arlington Nagby. the meanest burn Joe can put out. Like Joe, I, I, parsing Joe language. I, I, I'm I'm very much into that statement, Joe. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, but th- <laughs> I, it's important to stress all this with the caveat of he's won MLS Cup in Portland and in Columbus. I just don't personally put a lot of stock in that, especially the Columbus one. It was COVID, all that stuff. Dot dot dot. Doesn't matter, guys. You do your thing because you feel much more strongly about this than I. Well, do. no, I would echo everything you said. I mean, he has at this point fairly deteriorated relationships and his standing in both the clubs he's worked in over the course of time. And you could say for all of the caveats you want to put into the MLS cup, I think the big one would be he has one MLS cup at the beginning of his tenures, almost like with another person's team before he really gets his claws into it. And then it falls apart. And that's not what, when you talk about building a club and stability, those are not the things you're looking for on the Red Bull side. Like he would make no sense um, for that team. He doesn't have a great track record of playing young players, of pushing young players into the league. I would say his, the way he sees the game is fairly static. And so there's not a ton of momentum and movement to the players on the field. And he doesn't want to take as many risks. And so uh, none of that would really make sense. The revs, I said it like five months ago when we thought the opening was coming. They were always going to lean into like MLS experience and U.S. soccer tradition. I think the crafts have proven that pretty much over and over of like they've been around U.S. soccer for a really long time. They are an original owner. They were part of the 94 World Cup bid like Suno Galati has worked for that club as a consultant or a friend off and on for a really long time. They were always going to lean, hence bringing Bruce Arena in in that direction. Caleb Porter's in that. Robin Frazier's in that. Gio Savarese is in that. Bob Bradley is like, those were all the names I expected. Those were all the names that got interviewed. I'm a little surprised it landed on Caleb Porter uh, because of the reasons he has been let go or pushed out or has left the clubs he's worked at. People find him hard to work with. And so I think, again, this is the right situation for him, which is he's coming into a roster that's already built and it needs like 18% to get over the top and win, and he's probably capable of doing that for a year or two. I don't know what your long-term plan is with him because based off 
history, there isn't really one. I think Robin Frazier would have made more sense for that. I think Gio Savarese would have made more sense for that as well. And I don't know if it came down to a numbers thing, which I would assume Caleb Porter would be a little bit more, quote unquote, desperate right now to get into the league um, or a power thing for Kurt Analfo in that maybe he holds more power in this relationship than he would in other ones as the CSO of the club. But there's not a ton of history of being like, it's fun to watch Caleb Porter's teams play. It's fun to play for Caleb Porter's team. So normally I think soccer should be fun at some point. (laughs) Yeah. I'll, I'll add one more thing onto that. I, I think a lot of folks out there feel better about the revs and their squad this year than I do. I'm not sold on Chankalai at all, who's a, a, a player they had at the end of last season. He's now signed with them and is a DP for next year. Like Carly Seal is still very, very good. Brandon Bay is going to be out injured for a bunch of the season. They go out and trade for Nick Lima, who's not an especially good MLS player at this point in his career. I, I just don't really like the squad. As things stand now, there's time for things to change. But I, I'm not really in love with the squad, and I don't think adding... Caleb Porter as your manager suddenly gets them to a position where they can maintain their spot. Finishing fifth in the East, it was a totally respectable season last year. They don't have Georgie Petrovic to bail them out anymore. Like they don't have that player, and we saw what happened to them at the end of the year. They just they just weren't good enough against the Union. Straight up, they were played off the field in the first game of that series, and they never really had a chance to get back into it in any meaningful way. So I, I'm not encouraged by the Kurt Analfo hire as the the CSO. I I don't think Caleb Porter really moves the needle, and I. I I think they've got a ton of work to do. Maybe not a ton. I think they've got a lot of work left to do with the squad if they're going to be back where they were next year. And I'm not sure if they're going to do all of the work that it's going to take for them to get back there. I, I would push back a little bit from Joe of, of the assessment of the roster. I think Barrero coming back is like a game changer that they didn't have last year. And I think Shankalai was fantastic. And yeah. that was just coming on loan mid-season to a it's team fine. No that was already it's all good. rolling. Yeah. But you are right about Petrovic. And I think the part about Petrovic that's worrying is he replaced Matt Turner, who just got his coach fired, but he replaced Matt Turner. They showed an experience in being able to to move along there. Everyone who was pretty much a part of that is not part of the club anymore. So the confidence, I think, in being able to add the necessary pieces going forward isn't really there because of who's sort of a part of this group. But I do think coming into the season, if Barrero is healthy, they have more game changers than they had last year. They have more goal scoring quality. They are better in central midfield. They could probably cover for the fullback issues if goalkeeper and center back can be solved. And the biggest question mark being if Caleb Porter can sort of find the right tune with this team to let it play the right way. For the most part, it's like just protect heel and let him cook. And Barrero and Sean Collier are the same that – there's probably enough there to compete. Gus, what's your favorite managerial appointment so far this offseason? Um, so, so far, so far we've got Portland who have hired Phil Neville, Colorado who have hired Chris Armas, Chicago hired Frank Klopas, Charlotte did Dean Smith, not that one. Uh, the Rebels hired Sandro Schwartz, and Minnesota hired an interim manager, Sean McCauley, who is just kind of keeping the seat warm until they get everything else figured out, which is awesome. Gus, those are... Oh, and then Caleb Porter. I, my mistake. Those are your choices so far. It's an awesome group. It's I, like, I, want, I want listeners to understand how much, again, uh, because video... We're recording video. You can't see it. How much Goss's head just kept turning as Joe was listing the options. It was not, it was I'll, not I'll the most it. enthusiastic. I'll just Go say ahead. I don't feel strongly positive about any of these hires whatsoever. Okay. I don't I don't <laughs> like the Phil Neville hire in Portland. I think it's going to be fine. I don't think it like meaningfully improves their their quality next year. Is that their big marketing? Like, Phil <laughs> Neville, it's 
it's gonna be fine. <laughs> yeah, Chris Armas to Colorado. <laughs> okay, appointment. Okay, Frank Klopas to Chicago. Been there, done that. Dean Smith. I, I, my take on Dean Smith and Charlotte is that nothing is really gonna matter that he does until. Zoran Kranich gives him remembers a, he owns a soccer team. No, well, that would help. But they spent money. Like, they spent a little bit of sure, money along the sure. way. Zoran Kranich has just given him, like, an MLS Next Pro caliber or a Premier League retirement squad to work with. And it's it's ridiculous. Like, their team is is not good. I think Smith, Smith can do more with it than Latanzio did because he's just going to simplify stuff and try to make the game easier for them. But, like, they're not going to be really that good next year as things stand. I don't know. Gosh, I've talked a lot. I'm just saying that... If you don't have an answer, I feel like that's defensible. Well, it's like now that because I have to shop for these two weeks only. It's like you walk into the store, they show you all the options and all the models. And you're like, oh, this is fantastic. And they're like, yeah, none of these are for sale, though. So if you go into that bin over there and start like rifling through it with 500 other people, you could potentially find something in your size. That's like what this feels like. I would say I'm actually more positive on Smith than any of the other yeah, ones. Yeah, I think I am too. Yeah, except Sandro Schwartz. Like, he has a resume resume that's better than I think Struber's. I think his move is less going back to the Forsberg convo and, like, where the club stands. Struber, it, it always felt like was, okay, go coach there so you can come coach here. And, like, that's that's a position that's not okay in. It's okay for players because you are not building something around their identity and around their personality. It's not okay for coaches to have one foot out and trying to build a culture. And so I think Schwartz being brought in at the level he's already worked at is like a sign of intent from the club. And it seems like he's had some levels of success here and there. I don't really watch the Russian league. You know, I don't have clearance through... Yeah, through international um, sanctions to be able to go in and watch that league. But like, just based off everything you read, he he understands the model. He understands how it works. And he could be a positive influence of just like an external influence coming in and working inside of that rather than some of the others. But in saying that, every single job you just named, I could take a different finalist or rumor and I would be happier. About that job, like based off the names we heard and who could be there, do it, Ooh. do Ooh, it. Yeah, let's do this. Let's well, do this. I don't have them all in front of <laughs> oh, okay. me. Okay, no, come on. But come like, on. Give, give us so, one. Give us one. Well, I would have said Troy Lassane. I still think I would be happier if Troy Lassane was the head coach. I would say Gio Savarese a hundred percent, or Robin Frazier in New England. Um, I don't think I would have been stoked about Frank Lampard. So I don't think that one would have sure. moved me at the level that some of the other ones. Uh, what are the other? What were the? Finalists for Colorado is Chris Little, Pamoduka. Yeah, we don't know there was the fourth. Like one other one, and then Armas. Right? Yeah. I don't, so I, don't I thought Chris sure. Little did a good job. I think he has good ideas. My guess is he will still be there. So basically, they just got Armas on top of Little rather than just landing with him. But I would have been, I think, more excited for the club and like the idea of like having a coach who potentially is better than your club, but you got them early in their career than the one you landed on. I don't even know who else was with Portland. What other name did we hear? I don't um, remember. Interjecting for a moment, because I feel like we have some listeners who have been screaming at their phone or their AirPods for a minute. Would John Herdman being appointed at Toronto be on this list of offseason appointments? Because if so, I feel like that's probably number one. I, no, just I, I didn't have him on my list just because it happened last season, right? Like okay. that, that was announced long before the end cool. of the year. 
Did he ever, Goss, did he end up coaching yes, any of those games? Did. Or Okay, I couldn't he remember. Did. He, just yeah. sat it, For, cool. he just sat yeah, it down. Toronto um, fans, if you were mad, shut up. Toronto's a whole, a whole separate <laughs> Yeah, I was surprised, that, that Joe, <laughs> when you said you had more confidence. They are the biggest tire fire because they have the most tires. If you yeah. put in all of the expensive Ferrari <laughs> tires and you have a million, if you have 47 million of them, then uh, that's the biggest tire fire. They also, though, they also have the biggest hose. So, you know, there's there's some work that you can do to shut down that fire. Maybe. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's it's not a... It's not an awe-inspiring group of managers that have been hired. I, I do think Schwartz and Smith are the two that I, I feel the most optimistic about, but I'm also very aware that those are the two coaches that have never coached in Major League Soccer before, and it's very fun to have something new and shiny instead of something that you've seen before and yeah, know doesn't work agreed. great, but like probably works okay. Smith, I, I think a lot of listeners, because we talk a lot about the Premier League in England on this show, probably know something about him outside of the Four Corners offense. Uh, 52-year-old Premier League manager, helped get Aston Villa promoted to the Premier League, then was relegated with Norwich City, but nobody likes to talk about that. Tactically, he's used a lot of 4-2-3-1 and generally leans more towards transition and getting the goal quickly than possession. I think it will be a pretty stark shift from what we saw for Charlotte under Latanzio last year and what he's going to do this year. I think it's a respectable hire. Like I think that's a, a fine hire. He's, he's coached at a higher level than this. And has some connections to the area as well through his son. So there's some there's Greenville some reasons. Triumphs own. Got it. Shout out to USL League One. Got to yeah. do it. Um, and then and then the Schwartz hire, I, I think is is fine. I don't feel strongly about Troy Lassane. He seems like a nice enough guy. I've heard conflicting things sort of about his tenure in in New York. So I don't know exactly what to make of that at this point. But it is what it is at the moment for the Red Bulls. So I think one of the takeaways, unfortunately, from this past season in Major League Soccer, rather than saying Wilfred Nance was the difference in Columbus, how do we find the next Nance? How do we find someone who empowers our team? I think more CSOs walked away with Ben Olsen's success and said that we can sort of find a less influential locker room manager and that I can set the roster and I can set the playing style. Yeah. So it's, I, I unfortunately, because I went on a rant at the end of the MLS Cup postgame show with Joe of like, expect your, you like, demand your team does this, demand your team cares, challenges players, challenges themselves, tries to make the game bigger and, and take risks. And not that Houston didn't do that in their playing style at times. But in the overall read of like what worked, I think a lot of these hires are CSOs saying like, it's my team. Yeah. And so Phil Neville, he'll come in and he'll run what I put on the board, but I put it on the board rather than some of these coaches coming in and saying, this is what I demand from player acquisitions. This is what I demand in style. This is the only way I see the game. This is what I'm going to push. And I think that's why where we get this like, lukewarm milk toast sort of in between space of like these are just names of people who are technically qualified for this job well in the the downside of what you just described Goss and I, I actually disagree from a like what's the best way to run a club standpoint like you want the continuity coming from someone other than the manager because the manager is always the first to go right they're the one to, to save your face for you you want to have a vision from the club that's going to dictate a lot of how you play because the players are the ones that win you games and go out and sign players based off of the game model that you have as a club. With that being said, I take your point, right? Going out and finding an asset in Major League Soccer that can help add quality to your team that's not tied to the salary cap. Like going to get Wilfred Nance to coach your team, and he has a vision 
that in, in his case, and maybe he's he's unique in Major League Soccer in this way, can then actually trickle up to Tim Bezbachenko, who hasn't really played. He, he's played, he's been in charge of teams that play with the ball, but not, not like Columbus last year. They're in a different category. Maybe this is helpful for Columbus in long term after Nancy goes to Ligon at some point, which is probably going to happen down the road. Like they'll maintain some of those principles and, and eventually then it will be the club that dictates what Nancy originally set. But in general, that just doesn't happen. You want the CSO to have some direction in terms of how the club is playing. Most importantly, so you can go out and sign good players that fit that idea. The challenge is, like, the clubs you just mentioned don't have a good track record of, of doing that well. And so it's if it's Portland saying, hey, Phil, we're going to play this way, like, I don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to go out and play that way and sign the right players to do it. The one club, quickly before I let this die, the one club that maybe is is trying to do what you talked about, Goss, and trying to mirror Columbus by just straight up taking a, a coach from the crew, maybe is CF Montreal. There's been reported interest from multiple folks that they're interested in Gio Savarese. Doesn't fit that bill, but he's probably going to get the job. Or... Laurent Courtois, who's been the Columbus Crew 2 head coach in MLS Next Pro, is attached to one of the better-run organizations in the league. They just won MLS Cup, yada, yada, yada. That is is the one link that I've seen that kind of fits into the bucket that you're talking about, David. And, and obviously, Montreal are chaotic in their own way. So we'll see if that happens or not. But um, maybe something happening there. And let me just, last thing to throw in there is I think one of the things I, I probably didn't word well, but with bringing in Nancé was like talent. Wilfred Nance is really talented at what he does. It cost them resources. And it was more of a play of like, who can our coach be? And like, how can we have the best individual in that spot? Which does actually threaten people above you. Sure. Like if you bring in someone who's really smart and talented and charismatic, you sure are in danger. Bad at your job you are. Yeah. yeah and sure. I, that's the part where that I land on with a lot of the coaches that were yeah. brought in. Yeah. Was like, they are not that. They are known quantities in safe spaces. So even if it's not from inside of MLS, like Ronnie Dyla, right? Really good coach, brought in at a good level, had success, left. But like, if chose to stay, maybe becomes the face of NYCFC and pushes things. And we've seen other coaches like that in the history of Major League Soccer. I think that's where I say like, Maybe Sandro Swartz is one of them, and that's where that interest comes of like what he could be. And you're right, like the unknown is probably more fun and exciting there than the known. But that's where it feels very like safe and boring of what's happened. Do you all feel going back to something Goss said a little while ago, sticking with the coaching for a second? I'm surprised you're like able to follow it. We've, we've 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 passed the point of the like Bielsa disciple in Major League Soccer. I feel like there was a. a a period of time when that was like the thing to go for. Yeah, like, kind of. It's it like there was like five or six different coaches who were all Bielsa disciples of some level. And Gus, to your point, it feels like we've moved away from the idea of like that manager's coming in who this is how I'm playing. This is who I need. It has to be this type of yeah. personnel. It has to be this way. Everybody's getting weighed I, in. It seems like that is maybe less the case than it has been in seasons past. When those were happening and other coaching signings as well, the like acknowledgement of Major League Soccer as a landscape was never there of mainly salary caps and mm -hmm. CBAs. You just can't flip a roster. And like all of these coaches, Almada was one of them. Matias Almeida was one of them of like, well, I just need players. It's like, yeah, that's not an option. That's not how it works. You have a set roster. You have an amount of spots. Guys are filling those roles. You have allocation money. Like you can't just add players. And I think that was one of the things that happened, which was like, I don't think it works here. I don't know that anyone around the world feels really strongly right now about that pool of coaches anyway, yeah. outside of Bielsa himself. And you kind of know what the 
craziness you're getting into there, but like also the rewards. But I think, so I think that was a global trend partially, but I, it was like, it doesn't really fit the, like, I'm going to from in the belly of the beast, rebuild a club. It's really hard to do in a league that has different rules on guaranteed salaries, on salary filling spots, on single entity contracts. Like it's harder here, I think, than it is at Atlas if they give you the money. Fair. Uh, and with that in mind, actually, Joe, you mentioned new and shiny earlier. I did just get a note from the product strategy committee. Uh, they wanted you to know that, quote, they understand the appeal of things that are new and shiny, but it is their consistently held belief that moderately shiny and slightly broken in at an affordable cost is the ideal scenario. So that is the official position of the product strategy committee when it comes to new managerial appointments. When it comes to rebuilds, when it comes to potential signings, who are you all keeping an eye on this offseason? What teams do you think are going to be most active or most interesting in the offseason? Yeah, let's just get this one out of the way first. It's into Miami, I think, who are, are going to be the most interesting. You think? I will be, and I know I'm not the first to say this, but I will also be shocked at this point if Julian Gressel doesn't end up in Miami, yeah. which is an awesome signing that begs questions about like what's happening with DeAndre Yedlin and are they going to play three at the back? And the most likely answer is you just keep all the good players you can. And I, I'm not like a huge DeAndre Yedlin fan, but he is a useful fullback in Major League Soccer. Joe, can I ask you the the question I always ask you at this point in the show? Please. Uh, At what month will DeAndre Yedlin be playing for DC United? (laughs) Um, I I think no month in the future. I think think he's going to be in Miami most likely. And even if he moves, I don't, I definitely don't think he's going to D.C. <laughs> um, even though things are changing, it's seemingly for the better in D.C., but that's a separate separate uh-huh. story. Um, I think Gressel is, is an awesome move because he's talent and can play a couple of different spots. Is certainly best high and, and, and wide from a right wing back role. In a back three, Tata Martino played a little back three last year in Miami's stretch of 87 games in two days. So it, it's just going to be a great ad by Miami because he's really, really good. Then you factor in Luis Suarez, who talks about how he can't walk anymore, but has also been trying to get out of Gremio for a really long time. And it's a little hard to tell how much is just him saying what he feels like he needs to say to move yeah. along. It's the Mafia Don going going into court with like the oxygen tank and the neck right. brace and the wheelchair. Like I right. feel like this Luis Suarez trying to get out of Gremio, and then it's Kaiser Sose style. He's just going to be like at a full sprint with no <laughs> problems at all. There we 1,000%. Because he's been really good on the field for Gremio in Brazil. So... Those two players alone, and I don't think Miami's going to stop there either. I think they've got some other moves left in them before the season starts. But Miami, I think, will be one of the most interesting teams. I still don't know, like, are they going to be good? Yeah, they're going to be good. Are they going to be great? I'm not so sure. Probably. But either way, watching this team work and and figuring out what on earth is going to be happening in South Beach is going to be fascinating. I think that's probably a fair place to start and a yeah. correct place to start. Uh, Goss, any thoughts on Miami or should we talk about some other teams? No, but I will say for the future, just warning you, I no longer include Miami in Major League Soccer because they mm-hmm. are their own entity. So I didn't yep. even think of them when Joe said it. <laughs> so you just will have to remind me going forward if that's part of the conversation. I think for the uh, real MLS teams, the ones that live in reality and have to operate in that space, I think two stand out to me pretty quickly. The first being the Galaxy they have do, stated that they, they want have to, to operate in that reality. No, that is true. That's okay, actually cool. a really good point. They're sort of in the middle ground okay. and they've done it poorly. Um, and Will Koontz has said that they don't want to be in the middle ground anymore. So they want to start building like a modern MLS roster. They want to get younger because it's like a really big continent that you have to fly around and play in and you play through the summer and you have to play at a higher speed and all these other things. So the rumor right now is sort of 
uh, is around a player in Sosa, Tayeris in Argentina, who uh, Tom, I think, reported the first number coming out around $12.5 million, which would be a massive outlay for a player. Um, he starts on the opposite wing of Almiron for the Paraguay national team. He's not at that level at all. I think Shankalai is actually a better comparison for him. Similar age, similar profile, probably less of a goal scorer. Your hope would be more of a 1v1 creator, but it just feels more in, of an intelligent signing of fitting into a team model. And they've got another DP spot open and they sort of have to make up a lot of ground if they want to become competitive again in the Western Conference. So I think the Galaxy stand out as a big one. And then Minnesota's the other one of like, they brought in their CSO. They didn't know when he'd be here. Now they're on an interim coach. They've got DP spots open as well. Reynoso's had a, a ridiculous background over the last 18 months with them, but he on the field is a top five player in Major League Soccer. So they're the other one where it's like, this could change a lot. But it feels like with the interim tag, it's more like it's going to happen in the summer or maybe next offseason. But there's a bunch of space there for things to be shifted. All right. Well, we've got some teams to keep an eye on, some managerial appointments to keep an eye on, some free agents that are going to be on the move. Uh, lots already discussed. Lots still to be discussed. But for now, gentlemen, uh, I'm going to say we, we've talked about plenty and we are not done talking about Major League Soccer this week as Joe I think mentioned earlier and mentioned yesterday in the Weekend Review. Uh, he's going to be talking to Jeff Reuter. I'm deliberately pronouncing it that way to annoy Jeff. Uh, Jeff Reuter will be on the show uh, to talk with Joe, maybe me, maybe Ryan. We're not really sure who's going to be on that one. Uh, but we're going to have a lot of people asking Jeff various questions about the U.S. Open Cup. So we will be discussing uh, that whole saga, including any updates we might get during the week. Uh, so tune back in for that one. We're going to be doing a list of questions as well. We've got a... I believe. Are we doing things we're thankful for? Are we doing? Are we giving Christmas gifts, Jeff? I think. Yeah, I think we're giving gifts on Friday. That makes more Things stand now yeah. since Thanksgiving has already come and gone. Uh, yeah, no yes, more being so, thankful. It's done. No more. No yeah, more. Exactly. No more Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's just about gift giving and commercialism. There we go. Uh, Joe Lowry, thank you for that reminder and for all of your many thoughts today. I was going to say thank you back, but I can't anymore. So I'm, ju- <laughs> I'm just done. It's over. Thankfulness is done. Yeah. Uh, David Goss, thankfulness is done. I'm thankful there we go. for the opportunity to be here. I'm thankful for the people around me. I'm thankful for many other things. And I won't let Joe and the anti-thank police shut me down and silence my voice. And then he looks at his phone and leans away from the mic. All right. Thank you, David Goss, for that and all your other contributions today. Listeners, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again very soon.